Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that uncovers the important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People who work in the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, I am very excited to have um, Manaher and Michael Katz on the Making Sense of MarTech podcast. So Tejas is the CEO of High Touch Data, a reverse ETL composable CDP company, and Mike Katz is the CEO of MParticle. Now, over the past few years, there's been this new and interesting category in the customer data platform space called reverse ETL. What is that? Well, it's data, data activation, data enrichment, and analytics that run on top of the data warehouse. High Touch Data is one of the companies that's really championed the category over the past few years. And there's been numerous other startups in that space that are building as well. But there's an interesting growing shift in how MarTech leaders are thinking about the role of CDP in their business in conjunction with existing data warehouses like Snowflake, GCP, and AWS. As those platforms have become more mature and sophisticated in how you can manage data within those various warehouses and data lakes, there's an ecosystem of platforms that are actually building solutions to, to take advantage of that as well. And so in this episode, we have a bit of a debate it's going to be a little bit of contention between both uh, Tejas and Mike about the changing role of the CDP category industry. If reverse ETL makes sense as a category of tech, the modern data stack, the unbundling of CDPs, we'll talk about the value of data in a company, the problem of data waste, and many other topics. So I am really excited to bring you Tejas and Mike. How are you both doing? Good. 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 Thanks for having us. Well, it's Thanks great for having us. Have no, great, great to have you. Great to have you. Now, let's jump in. I want to get an introduction. How did you find yourself in this customer data platform <laughs> space? I mean, uh, both leading companies doing really interesting work. Uh, Mike, did you want to kick us off? What's your story? Sure. I guess age before beauty here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is the second company that I've, I've founded. The first was in the ad tech space, and we built... Uh, a data platform that was pretty ahead of its time back in 2009 that could ingest signals from first and third parties and again, very, very different time, but it allowed us to gain a strong appreciation for how brands thought about leveraging their data to drive business and more specifically like campaign results. And we carried forward a, a few of the core tenets of the platform into a bit of a white space, we saw the, the landscape changing in terms of the number of consumer platforms and the challenges with respect to, to data capture and data activation. And at the time, everything was rooted in pixels and cookies and legacy web technology. And we felt like there was a good opportunity to help teams modernize their approach to data management and, and activation and started the company in, in 2013 and have been doing this ever since. Awesome. Awesome. And Ted, just how, how did you get into this space? I think it's a little bit of a different story there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, my background's more on the technical side. Um, so I was actually a software engineer at a few different startups. And at one of the startups, um, I ended up becoming a customer of this product segment. So this was actually way back in 2014. So I think 
roughly a year before M particle had started off and maybe paved some of the you? way. <laughs> how, how old were you? I was I was super young at the time. I was still in my uh, still in my teens. <laughs> I will say so. Um, and yeah, I think I was probably sixteen at the time. And I actually I tr tried segment. Um, I was a customer there. I was a happy customer. I saw a lot of value in the service. Kept following the company. And a couple of years later, I actually wanted to move to Silicon Valley from Tennessee and try out the whole startup scene with the ambition of eventually starting my own company. And Segment was top of mind for me just because I'd seen immense growth in the company, loved the product as a user, and started to become interested in where this like data space was headed. So yeah, first got introduced into customer data problems and data space as a customer, and then as an early engineer and product and engineering leader at Segment, um, where we were, you know, arch rivals with, with MK here and at some point connected over Twitter and shot the shit and kind of became friends. That's amazing. And I think there's a bit of a backstory there between you both, because there has been, and we'll get into the discussion in a second about, well, like what has been that debate around the CDP, but I think you guys have a bit of a backstory. Um, how did you guys meet initially? It was Twitter. Yeah, right? I think it was Twitter. Exactly. <laughs> I think, um, you know, when there's there's startups like Segment and Particle all growing at the same time, all in a competitive hot space, there's always a lot of buzz about these things on Twitter and everyone from different companies just follows each other. And uh, I think MK's sense of humor was, was something that we never uh, never flew by us at Segment. So <laughs> couldn't, couldn't help but but start start DMing at some point. And I uh, ended up, you know, starting meeting and met in person when we were in the early days of starting High Touch, had this debate at some point, not on a Zoom call, talked about where companies like Snowflake were headed and, and yeah, just met through there. Wonderful. Yeah, and and, and from my perspective, um, you know, the competition with uh, with Segment was, was fierce back in the day, but I always had uh, such a tremendous amount of respect for what they had built and the, and the people, like the team that they had assembled. And so when I had, I think, heard through the grapevine or read on Twitter that like there was some of their star engineers creating this new company in the, um, in like the data space. Um, I was naturally curious. And after talking to, to Tejas, like was obviously a, a fan and, um, you know, we've, we've shared notes a, a bunch and we, uh, we go back and forth a little bit but it's 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 all in good fun and it's all to to drive the conversation forward and the the industry forward and hopefully um create value for our customers mm. and yeah, that's the, exactly the interesting thing here about um the conversation you're about to get into is that on the outside <coughs> looking in you can see there's been articles being written and then rebuttals and criticism on both sides and you know even my audience from the martech week is like whoa it's getting pretty heated right this whole conversation <laughs> you know friend well why do you quote it uh there's that one article from high touch data friends don't let friends buy a cdp right so i think we need to address the elephant in the room a little bit here and go, well, okay, like there's this interesting provocative idea that, you know, um, uh, when I first encountered high touch data was uh, on an article saying that the CDP as a category is dying. And there's this new technology called say reverse ETL or composable CDP <laughs> that's going to replace it. And that's been a, a narrative that high touch data has been driving over, particularly over the past 12 months. 
Um, and, you know, Mike, you've also been writing some interesting critiques about that thesis, but I want to open it up for our audience. Um, Tejas, what is your hypothesis for high-touch data? How do you see it as a, say, a quote-unquote better alternative for the CDP options out there? Yeah, for sure. So I can give a bit of backstory here. Um, when I joined Segment in, in 2016, I actually was working on their original warehouses product. So uh, at the time, Amazon Redshift was like the hot new technology in the data space. Companies that had never you know, considered a data warehouse before, um, let's say mid-market companies or startups, or even large companies that you know had data warehouses like Teradata or data lakes like Hadoop, but just never were able to really get that data culture going, just you know, how sluggish those technologies are really, where we're just flocking on the redshift and asking segment, how do we get our data into it? And at the time, the way we viewed data warehouses like redshift or Snowflake probably had, I don't know, maybe like a hundred customers back then, um, was it was an advanced analytics tool. So it was going to be another destination of data we collected at segment. We dumped data into it and when customers at our companies on marketing or data or whatever role couldn't answer a question in Google Analytics or in Adobe Analytics or Omniture, then they'd pop over into a BI tool or SQL and answer in the data warehouse. Now, fast forward four years, I saw a massive shift in the way data warehouses were seen in the market and the way companies manage their data. It really turned over from this advanced analytics tool to one of the primary tools for understanding the customer journey and answering questions about your customer's business, et cetera. Um, by the time I was really getting ready to leave segment, I saw that companies didn't see the warehouse, you know, something advanced, something used for complex things. They saw it as something you run the business on, run reporting on, answer all your key critical questions with kind of the default system. And we saw this potential in the market where, you know, people weren't always using CDPs to collect all their data. They were doing that in a variety of different ways. And it was all landing in a data warehouse, whether you're a mid-sized startup or a Fortune 500 company. And we really realized there was an opportunity to help companies lean into the data warehouse, leverage all the solutions in that ecosystem to make the data warehouse their source of truth, which was, all, was kind of naturally happening in the industry. And the missing piece was really an activation layer so that you can take data from the data warehouse, make it usable, and send it to all the business systems, advertising networks, et cetera where your marketing, sales, et cetera, teams live. So that's why we founded Hightouch. Um, we just knew the problem of CDPs was really real, uh, but saw a huge shift in the way companies were managing data and, and leaned into that to allow companies to do more with their investments in, in warehousing. Mm. Interesting. I've got a quote from um, one of the articles talking about this topic. It says, um, Suddenly, the sources of truth within organizations began to collide. Marketing CDP-based truth became increasingly incomplete and misaligned with the truth as defined by analysts in the data warehouse. So is this how you see it, Tejas, in the sense that you have data analysts and data engineering teams building data models and warehouses, making steps in, in terms of improving that over time with their businesses. And then you've got the marketing team that's got the CDP and they're trying to obviously build customer profiles and audiences and want to activate that and do analytics themselves. We'll say marketing ops might be a, sort of a good angle here on the CDP, perhaps for a practitioner. Are you, is that how you sort of seeing the world? Is that, you know, you've got the data engineering teams that are doing one thing, marketing is doing and digital are doing another thing, and then actually just not sort of talking to each other so much. Is that how you see it or is, or is there something different there? Yeah, for sure. Actually, I would say I see it a little bit differently. So I see whenever people have questions, anything analytical to answer, any sort of reporting to do, 
the, the state of the art technology and the de facto tool they reach out to is a BI tool like a Tableau or Looker, Power BI, Mode, whatever it is that sits on top of their data warehouse. And that's kind of become the industry standard. You know, 10 years ago, if I was a marketing analyst, my default tools would be Excel, Adobe Omnisher, all this sort of stuff. Now it's BI, like and even in some of the most traditional companies in the world, like say Warner Music Group or the NBA or these different companies that we work with at HiFetch, they're using BI solutions instead as a default way to do things. But when it comes to activating data or when I actually want to use that data, not for analytics, but for powering a personalized marketing campaign, running some sort of automated operations, uh, these professionals reach for a completely different set of tools or ask a software engineer to implement some tracking through web tags or build their own pipeline in-house that doesn't work off the data warehouse. And our vision at HiTech is for people to be able to solve these customer 360 problems in a central way. So to be able to use the same source of truths for analytics as, as activation. So I think that's really the discrepancy I'm seeing. It's not that marketing is not using the data warehouse, it's that they're, they're choosing a different set of tools when, when activation becomes a priority. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And so Mike, uh, let's turn to you because I think um, as these articles have been coming out from high touch data around this topic of the CDP is dead, friends don't know friends by CDP. Um, you've been perhaps one of the strongest voices in terms of picking apart some of the arguments, analyzing them and uh, giving some feedback into the industry, you know? So, um, you know, you've been challenging the thesis of the say, quote unquote modern data stack, activating data on top of the warehouse. But perhaps how do you frame the value of CDPs at MParticle for your customers? And what has sort of led that to your sort of your challenge here? Could you give our audience a bit of a broad strokes on um, how you see this reverse ETL uh, movement in the moment? Sure. Well, the first thing I'll say is I, I don't even have any friends. So my friends aren't buying CDPs. You need friends <laughs> to buy. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think like where, where I tend to orient the conversation is first and like what business problems are we trying to solve, right? Where's the, where's the business value? What are the use cases that end up mapping to, the, to those high level business objectives? And then what are the features that are required, which put you in the best possible position to execute the use cases and help you solve for the outcomes? that you want. And I think like my, my view is just a little less dogmatic per se around CDP reverse ETL. Like who knows, I, I could be wrong about all this shit. I have as good of a guess as, as, as anybody. Um, but you know, I think that, I think one of the biggest points of difference that, that we have is that I, I actually do believe that the data warehouse is an incredibly valuable, rich source of, of data. Like there's no, there's no disputing that. I think where the, the viewpoints start to diverge is like, is that a source or is that the only source? And our, our view is that it is a source. I do agree with the whole premise that the problem with most analytics and reporting systems is like you have this now what problem, right? You get this great insight, beautiful chart, pretty colors, the executives are happy. And then it's like, now what do I do with, with that, right? And, and, and that's where I think like bridging the gap between insights and, and activation 
is is really important, right? It should all be in service of of something, though, whether it's cutting costs or growing revenue or transforming um, the business, maybe because of like you know the cookie apocalypse or just like a business model transformation, like what what whatever the forcing function is, and everything typically maps to like one of those three scenarios. And there's like lots of different ways to to get there, right? And I think you end up having to look at what is the best path in terms of ROI. Um, and when you start to deconstruct ROI, like the I is the investment. Like what is total OPEX, right? What are the compute cycles? What are the fees that you're paying to companies like Snowflake or, or whoever? How many... How many people do you need to throw at the problem? Because I think one of the things that we see is like, there's just a ton of operational complexity with this stuff. And yeah, technology does unbundle and it, and it rebundles and there's no argument around that. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe high touch puts us out of business and I get to go and live out the rest of my life helping dogs or, or, or something. But like, I, I don't think it's an all or nothing thing. I, I think that there's like a ton of space in between for lots of solutions that map accordingly and, and optimally to the use cases that ultimately solve the business problems. I just get kind of less wrapped around the axle with respect to it's all got to be this or it's all got to be that. And that's, that's really my, my only point. Mm -hmm. And I, I would totally agree with some of that as well, you know, um, to make it clear. Any, any business, any SaaS that's out there trying to help companies get closer to their customers right now and personalize customer experiences is going to be growing. It doesn't matter if it's a warehouse first approach or a not warehouse first approach, or if it's built on some ancient technology even, which neither solution here are. Um, this is an imminent problem for like most consumer companies just worldwide at any scale. And it's, it, it's almost one of the best ways to differentiate as a business in this day and age. So what I would say is that it's not a one size fits all problem by any means. It's just that over time we see technological trends. And I think the trend that we're seeing right now and over the last 10 years is that data collection, which I think is really the angle that CDP specialized when solving the customer 360 problem has become more of a solved problem than it was say seven or 10 years ago. And the real problem that most businesses are facing is I have tons of data. Like, as you mentioned, uh, MK in many of your posts, like I have ho I'm hoarding tons of data. What do I do with it? How do I drive the most value, uh, value from it? And that's really where we come into the, come into the picture and are, are trying to help customers go from, from point A to point B. Yeah. And I guess like, so the, 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 collection component i think is like we, we as an industry have made a ton of progress on that i don't think it's ever solved though agreed um, agreed because everything is constantly changing and i think the first part of it and 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 i actually think that like if we step back we all know like the CDP space is extremely heterogeneous, right? And like, I think our, our perspective, sure. segment and particle view of the world, you look outside to like the other CDPs, most of them don't even have native data collection capabilities, right? Like, it's a mess, yeah. 
it's it's a mess like they're really only able to ingest data server to server right um and like there's pros and cons with the whole thing but one of our beliefs is that it is really valuable um to get data collection right because it's kind of like starting the race on the on the right foot right um and and if you don't collect data properly and you're not able to validate data and, and and cleanse it potentially if it's mislabeled or misformatted and you're not able to merge it appropriately at the point of of origin it's kind of like breaking your ankle in like the first mile of a marathon like you're going to be limping along and the more you try to limp along like the worse it's going to be and you may actually do irreparable damage and so I think it's a dangerous view to say, well, the collection piece is, is table stakes when there's such nuances with respect to data collection. And then customer data specifically is very idiosyncratic in nature. And it looks nothing like employee data or financial data or other forms of digital data. It's interesting, hey, because there's one element on this debate, which is accessibility, right? So... I often talk about this concept of a lot of B2B SaaS is abstraction on top of abstraction on top of abstraction. And what do I mean by that is that, well, a lot of platforms are taking very complex, very highly skills reliant type tasks and abstracting that into, say, a GUI, a GUI, or into a package software so that business, business leaders, people, practitioners can actually use that software within their company. Um, one great example is Monday.com. I mean... Kanban software extracts away all the code of having to build your own sort of Kanban, move tasks around, tagging people, extracts all those, that skill. And it's just software you can buy so that you can do your project management. Totally unrelated to CDPs. But that's that's an interesting sort of angle here in that the CDP, when I first learned CDPs, uh, I came from a marketing, like someone like marketing technologies background, working in startups, consulting. Um, but I, by no means, I'm not a data engineer. I'm not an analytics professional. I never studied that stuff, right? But I actually spent um, some time. I did a two-day course. I learned a CDP, um, how to use it. And then within six months, I was building use cases because I knew how, knew how to use it. Why? It was because I didn't have to learn SQL to attribute traits, uh, create um, traits for customers and enrich them and do all that activation. I, had, I knew the platforms. All I have to do is do one click to integrate it with a different platform. So there's abstraction there, right? Like that value around the accessibility of a tool that someone like myself, don't, don't they don't have the, all the technical knowledge to do all of those tasks. A CDP allows me to do that. And I think what's interesting, like even spending a bit of time with High Touch uh, in their team, understanding the tech a bit, they do that in a different way, but they are reliant on and data engineering teams doing a lot of that back, background work in data warehouses. And that's far more skills reliant and far more technical than what you say your technical marketer might be facing. And so do you have any thoughts on that in terms of the um, accessibility angle on the CDP category and the value of it in businesses? Yeah, for sure. So one, I think just as you just as you mentioned, a lot of SaaS vendors and technology is just abstraction, abstraction, abstraction. And we've seen the same thing. And that's actually what, what led us and inspired us to found HighTouch. And I think that latest abstraction that we've been seeing is that companies have been investing millions of and millions of dollars, not just in technology, but in people, teams around this, and time and resources in building a strong or 
reasonably strong. It doesn't even have to be perfect. Data foundation. And I think one of the new primitives that's almost arising, uh, like, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't expect everyone to be using a cloud like AWS or everyone even to be using, you know, SaaS software oftentimes 15 years ago, let's say. Today, like, a just like those have become primitives uh, that any SaaS can walk into a company and expect exists. The data warehouse is really becoming one of those primitives. And on top of that, uh, people doing analytics engineering is also becoming a primitive where there starts to be, you know, core data models like customer 360 models inside of this data warehouse. So it changes the kind of landscape for, for players like Hightouch to come in and say, for companies that are doing this investment in data, that are already building this foundation for analytics, let's help you turn that investment into something you can't just use, you don't have to just use for analytics, but you can use for activation and you can use as your customer data platform solving problems from integration to governance to, um, you know, self-serve access through audience building all on top of that data set in the warehouse. So I think, I think about it the same way, the same way you do. Um, it's just that I think there's new abstractions available on the market, the data warehouse being one of them uh, that actually solve critical problems that, that existed in, in, in past abstractions. And I think one of those, those big problems uh, is garbage in garbage out. So I think MK can definitely talk a lot about this, but, Across the marketing data space, we've seen a huge problem with garbage in, garbage out. If you don't collect data right in the beginning, ends up poorly and downstream. You see this all the time with CDP solutions. What the warehouse really allows for, which we leverage heavily at high touch, is a powerful middle. That kind of breaks the paradigm of garbage in, garbage out, because you can actually do a lot of transformation and stitching in the middle that's custom to your company through the data warehouse. And that, that's really one of the, the big reasons that I think this model of using data warehouses, the CDP and the source of truth will rise over time. Mike, do you have any comments on, on that? Yeah, I, I think we're, <clears throat> we're, we're fundamentally aligned in terms of the importance of data quality. And I would actually argue it goes beyond garbage in, garbage out for, for us because oftentimes we're, we're creating bi-directional real-time connections, right? And so if we're creating custom audience sequences or journeys where we need to get that return path data, if the original data is bad and then something happens and then that data comes back based on a result that wasn't what you thought it was originally based on and then derivative decisions are made from that, it's not just garbage in, garbage out, but it starts to compound, right? Like the garbage kind of becomes like a bit of a, a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> and, and so I, I think like from, from the standpoint of, of data quality, I think we, we do fundamentally agree. Um, I think the, the trap is the ROI factor. Again, you can do all of these transformations but the, the transformations are expensive. Like they're not, they're not free. And the more data that you store and the more transformations that need to, to happen, like the value doesn't accrue to the customer. It actually like erodes the value. And that's like not necessarily an M particle thing or, or, or a high touch thing. It's really what happens before you start consuming data. Like have you, have you thought about the creation of a, of a data strategy? Or are you just dumping data into a data warehouse out of like, out of FOMO 
effectively because there are a lot of vendors that will advise um, data practices based on based on like data FOMO, which is like it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And it's completely self-serving. Like it really only benefits well, one company, which is the data warehouse. A big, I think a big argument we see online from like MarTech vendors, the CDP space is, you know, data hoarding or Snowflake is making all this money off hoarding data or storing a bunch of data. But it's actually kind of technically false. So I think one of the big innovations of cloud data warehousing, BigQuery, Snowflake, is the separation of compute and storage, right? Where you're not tied to the olden days or the olden model, whereas you add in more data into the warehouse, you need to scale the number of computers that back it. Instead, you have a big pile of data here and compute resources that can expand depending on the queries you run on it. And that what that model allows is it allows companies to save as much data as possible into these data warehouses with paying minimal fees on some platforms like, like Google BigQuery, for example, they even just almost eat that as a company um, and allow you to really pay for your usage, your querying or the value you're driving from the data. I think I, we see that argument a lot and it, I think there's an emotional appeal of that because people are used to paying for the amount of records in a system like Salesforce or, or a system like you know, SendGrid or, um, or, or any type of system like that. But, uh, but really like the cloud data warehouse model has flipped that on its head where solutions like Snowflake and Google BigQuery are, are not charging to charging minimally for storage and only charging you for the data you actually use, which makes it really powerful to uh, maybe practice some of that data FOMO and then have the data versus not having it later. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not in the storage. It's in the it's in the compute, right? And there's, I think by by some projections, there's probably fifty to a hundred million in in ARR that DBT is creating for Snowflake alone, just in like inefficient transformations. Right, because if you're going to actually do something with the data, something useful, you need to typically transform it, create new tables. Right, like um, it's not just in the in the storage. So that's that's never really the the point. It's that it ends up being this really inefficient setup that also becomes like somewhat somewhat brittle. Um, and I think by and large, I have yet to meet too many data engineers who truly appreciate the intricacies of digital digital marketing. Like they, they think they do, but they don't really. And conversely, like digital marketers don't understand all of the intricacies of, of data engineering. And there's like an impatience on, on both sides. And that's why we have a lot of people just like talking past each other. But either way, like the the problems don't get solved when there's this like obsession over like features and functionality. You have to root the conversation in business value. Agreed. Agreed. Totally. I have an existential lens on this. So on data storage, we're talking at it at a cost level, right? Like what co what costs a business? Is it, how much of a cost center is data storage? But you know, I, I think I've spoken spoken to you both on this. Other angle on this is that, well, how much data do you actually need as a business outside of the cost, outside of what you're storing? Like, what do you actually need? So in Australia right now, we've got, we've had three consecutive companies have major data breaches. Well, the one that's most famous at the moment is uh, Optus. 
And the shocking thing about it, they lost 10 million records to a, to a hacking incident. And now um, the um, our version of the, um, I think it's the FCC, uh, they're saying we've got to do completely transform our landscape around data privacy and collection and what's being used in governance and all of that. And there's going to be new fines that are coming out. You know, it's really put a, f a fire under the seat of, of, um, of legislators. Um, but the shocking thing about that data breach is that all these customers are saying, like, why is my license number being stored in some data warehouse? Why was there an open API to a data warehouse with my license number, with my address, with my details? And, you know, my, the philosophy behind my thinking here is that, like, companies think about things in terms of, yeah, revenue and um, and the costs. Okay, money in, money out. Fine. What are you investing in? Where's the return investment? Sure, every business needs to think about that. But I think at a deeper level, perhaps a more mature level, is to think, well, how much data do we actually need? What's our liability? to? Uh, what's our exposure to the risks here of being contaminated or lost? And really, what's the long-term effect of collecting so much data about users? As you mentioned before, Mike, you said that customer data is idiosyncratic. It's very unique. And I would say, I just recently did a talk on this to say that, well, customer data is about people. And so it's all these attributes, identifiers of people should treat it as with as much respect and with as much care as people, because it's about those people's identities. My wife just got a letter from Optus <laughs> saying that her license number is being compromised. So now she has to go and get her license changed and removed and all that. And you know what? That's incredibly personal. It made her very, very angry. And so that's what I'm saying here is that often these conversations about data storage and collection and use is all about return on investment, but we don't think about the philosophical side of things. It's like, well, what, what is the um, long-term harm that we, that this data can create? And what are the rewards associated with that as well? Do you have any comments? It ends up with people in the DMV. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's reason enough to be responsible in and of itself. Uh, I, look, I, I, I don't think that there's an appropriate answer to that question. I think it, the, the, the question has to be like, what business problems do you want to solve? Like, what do you ultimately want to do with that data? That's like, that's ultimately what we're trying to push for is a mindfulness around, around data. It's not to collect everything. It's probably actually the opposite. It's to collect as little data as humanly possible to create the most amount of impact from, from the business side, right? And how do you do that? Well, you have to understand like what your business objectives are. You have to know the path that you wanna take in order to execute on those objectives. And then, and then, and really only then can we start to get into tactics and features and functionality and data volumes and, and, and that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a means to an end. It's not the end in and of itself. Mm. It's interesting. I, I would second what, what MK said that it's hard to answer that question generically. So what I would emphasize is that what we see in the market and where I think things are headed is um, the more you invest in data ownership, and being able to have your data in a, in a central place that can be owned by you as a company, governed by you as a company, and is, is not locked into kind of proprietary software, the easier it's gonna to be to solve these sort of like governance layer problems. So I think we look across all data solutions. So data warehouses, um, SaaS tools that help you manage your data, like CDPs, et cetera. The data warehouses have tremendous functionality when it comes to um, column level privacy, expiration of data, 
multi-region support, et cetera. And by really investing in a strong foundation for how that data is managed and having apps like Hightouch that can sit on top and give you different business value from that data, it just gives enterprises a, a lot more control and puts them in a lot less risk towards um, things happening where they have the data floating all around to different uh, solutions that 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 store it again and help you orchestrate it. And this is a big reason why healthcare companies and financial services and financial technology companies have chosen high touch because we actually have fundamentally this architecture where we don't need to store any data. It can actually all run on top of your cloud, which I think is a a paradigm that we're going to see more and more of um, as a data warehouse becomes a, a primitive in in the enterprise stack. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, hey, the whole idea of a primitive, right? Or the like, what's the difference between a hype, hype cycle, and a trend? You know, so the trend around business cloud, value. I think business value, value? is the difference between a hype cycle and a trend. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, you know, if you look at Web three and totally separate from this this topic, but if you look at Web three, they made a lot of millionaires. You know, there's a lot of value <laughs> for people trading uh, board a pictures on on Twitter or whatever, and um and OpenSea. Um, and trading crypto and, and shit coins and all the other things. Um, but that was a hype. I mean, that was a, a total hype cycle. The whole in that whole industry is deflated, right? But the cloud is another technical change. It also involves databases like the blockchain, right? But it hasn't suffered from hype. It's just this ongoing trend, right? So from stats, some stats from Gartner say that, and this is from last year, some research, they said that only 11% of global IT spending has been on cloud solutions compared to on-premises since 2017. So if you look at that, and what you're saying, um, Ted, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that there's a primitive happening here. There's this abstraction that's happening around these skill sets that are being built around data warehouse, data management within um, cloud warehouses like Snowflake. Okay, got that. Um, but we're still very early in terms of enterprise spending on cloud. So if you follow that trend, then perhaps, you know, you catch the catch the wave or the, the wake of that, and then you'd be able to build a company that supports that particular trend. Um, same with mobile. Uh, mobile was um, a long time coming, smartphones, iPhones, et cetera, um, Android. And then it finally came and then it, it changed the industry very quickly over a matter of a few years in terms of almost everything around digital marketing. It's interesting, right? Like you've got hype and then you've also got trends and I think that, yeah, there's an interesting one there around, well, is that whole concept of the modern data stack, is that the trend that's going to define the next 10 years? Not sure if I have any comments on that, but I do want to get into the next uh, uh, question here. And this one's for you, Tejas, which is all about understanding the value of data. So we've talked a lot about ROI and costs, um, but like, how do you specifically talk to your customers about the value of data in their business in terms of like... Uh, how they store it, how they manage it. What does that value equation look like in the minds of your customers? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what I, what I see is that, especially as businesses get larger and spaces become more mature. So at, at first, obviously, like product can be the main differentiator, can be the wedge that you know gets you in, in marketing and stuff like that. But as spaces become more mature, whether that's you know a consumer brand or consumer software or even a sports team. How well you understand your your customers becomes a massive differentiator. And I think that's one thing that MK and I can probably wholeheartedly agree on because it's the the underlying thing that's funded our businesses really from a customer perspective. But how well you understand your customers is one of the biggest differentiators, and the most valuable data is going to be customer data because it directly influences that. So when I think about the the value of data, and I think about having conversations around the value of data activation at high touch. It's really about, okay, 
how do you want to interact with your customers in a more scalable digital way? And how do we make that as human and personal as possible? And I really believe that's the, that is the value of, of data collection, of data activation, being able to empathize with your customers at scale. So that's really our goal when we, when we look at, you know, talking to customers about the value of data or suggesting use cases to our customers or, or even deciding if they should go the CDP solution or a data activation solution like HighTouch. It really comes down to what's going to be the fastest way for you to activate your data and start driving personalization and better customer experiences. And what we found is time and time again, and again, this is different 10 years ago, enterprises have tons of data already. And the fastest way to action on that is to maybe activate it versus recollect it. Really interesting. I, I think that the whole concept of value, uh, what I'm seeing in the market specifically is around um, this increasing trend of enterprises thinking about data as an asset. So you, you maintain it, you grow it. It's kind of like an ETF in a lot of ways, right? Like you put money into it, you invalid, you, you invest in the skills, and then that asset should get more valuable over time. Now, there are companies like Clearbit, like the biggest platforms in the world, Meta, Google, that actually treat their data as an asset because it is. That's how they, they monetize through advertising and targeting. And that's how they personalize services for customers, right? But that's it's a direct line of sight, right? But for a lot of brands that are direct selling directly to customers, um, and they're selling <coughs> products and services, the asset is more around the use cases and how you can activate it and how you use it. But I'm seeing, I don't know if you're seeing that trend as well, Mike, in, in terms of brands increasingly thinking about data as an asset and that sort of paradigm shift from, are oh, we just collecting things to actually this is at a, a strategic asset in our business will help us grow? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a, a new phenomenon either. I think that that's been a... Um, a generational shift that's that's been happening, I'd say, over the course of the past couple decades. <clears throat> um, for for most, especially now um, in mid October of 2022, I think every every company is trying to do a little bit more with a little bit less. Um, and I think that there's also a strong recognition that the path to being able to do that starts with data ultimately because data is one of your most high leverage assets that you have as an organization i think from a from a value perspective i would maybe answer it a little bit differently there's a need to be able to quantify the effect of data on top of the inherent performance that you would get from context and whatever kind of like uh, message or, or creative, ultimately. You can create this great creative and it doesn't have to have any, any data and you can still drive a ton of value, right? So the, the, the value equation isn't just this like speed to, speed to activation thing, like speed, like time to data value realization is important, but it's not the necessarily like the end all be all Agreed. Partly because you can like, you can activate bad data real fast and you're going to have bad, bad results. Right. Um, but secondly, you, you need to, um, you need to start thinking about data from the perspective of, of lift. What type of lift does it give above and beyond whatever kind of benchmark that, that you can set. And 
I think like inside most organizations, what we see is that there's a lot of opinions that are, that are thrown around. Some of them are offline interpretations of like customer segmentation that are then applied to like digital channels. And you see it a lot, like in like the media realm, it's like, oh, I need to reach users, you know, male 25 to, to 40. And it's like, that's not who's going to actually respond to the, to the campaign. So like you could apply a bunch of targeting via data to, um, to your audience and you could pull those people out. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to help you achieve the, the business result. So you have to think about data valuation in terms of the impact that it creates above and beyond some sort of benchmark or baseline that you would get otherwise either through like a run of channel or um, just like probably like a, a control group ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a really interesting dynamic that happens often within the CDP category because it's so close to the customer. A lot of the use cases, like a lot of the branding from CDP companies is like, we'll improve your ROI. We look at this great case study. We drove extra revenue or whatever it is. There's a lot of that sort of performative type messaging in terms of the value of CDPs. Um, but what's interesting, I was working with a customer a few years ago and, um, and they were, uh, so there's their customer data platform. They were in there for 12 months and they were on the hook for their contract renewal. And I'm sure you guys do deal with that all the time as contract renewals and negotiations and how it's all going. Uh, but for this particular customer, they had, um, they were on the hook and they came to us and we were saying, okay, well, they haven't gotten any value out of, out of the CDP. Um, they were, they haven't even really touched her. They haven't used her over 12 months and now we're at risk because um, of the contract being finished and being canceled because they haven't gotten value out of it. And you know what? The CMO is actually blaming the CDP company because it hasn't created any value. We got in there. We're like, okay, well, what's your customer strategy here? Like, what are the use cases? What's the insight? What's the in, what's the problems? And we, they had none of that. But they had bought the yeah. CDP thinking that they'll get a few off-the-shelf use cases out of the market. Didn't end up happening because of whatever marketing get, team gets distracted. Uh, but they didn't have a strategy, right? So it's like CDPs are an enabling function. They're not a performative function, I think, in a business in the sense that marketing is a performative function. They're the ones with the strategies and they're just leveraging the technology to make those things happen, whatever those customer insights are. So anyway, fast forward three, six months, we get into the work. We did this fantastic use case where it was looking at um, different concerns that that customer had based on the content marketing from that brand. And then uh, that led to, I think it was like a couple million dollar uplift. And they only had to do one use case to prove the whole ROI premise of the CDP. One, with one strategic insight inside of that and then um, a plan of attack. And it can be that simple in terms of realizing the value of a CDP in a business doesn't have to be super complicated, but I do think there's a bit of a fallacy there between, oh, we're not driving ROI. It's probably the CDP's fault. Uh, do you have any hot takes on that? <laughs> I don't think it's just a CDP. I think that that's true for probably any technology, right? Like I think whether you go um, CDP, whether you go reverse ETL, whether you're talking about- Even ESPs, that, I think. Yeah, like marketing automation. Yeah. Or product analytics like it's not just the presence of the tool that solves all your problems like there's there's change management that's that's required there's a there has to be like this cultural embrace of a new way of doing things and letting go of of the old way and having the processes to to support that like 
signing the agreement for whatever solution. That's just like, that's the first step. I agree. I think the one thing we really believe in though is making progress and, and, and making these efforts uh, analyzable, observable, tractable. And that that's, that's a, a, I think a flip side of the coin of kind of using the warehouse as your, as your CDP or as your customer 360 that that's often um, underemphasized even in our own marketing, which is that, you know, if you, if you use platforms like, like high touch to do your audience segmentation or to do your AB testing, as we showed you in kind of our recent release one, um, all that data flows back into the warehouse and you can actually close the loop on whether those activities are, are actually effective. And I think that's, it's one of the most important parts that, um, you know, not on particle, but other other CDP vendors often don't want customers to know the full story and and have access to that raw data to know what's what's going on ultimately. Mm. And is there a left? Yeah, it, it all comes back to the brand strategy, right? Like, what are they trying to do in market? What are they trying to do for their customers? Technology enables that, and so um, I'm sure you've had a, quite a few, but between the both of you, customers that didn't have that strategic layer in their business or that person that was actually holding that strategy. And then it means that the tech, everything's a bit harder, right? Where there's no clarity on, okay, these are the things that we think are going to create value for us. So um, it's very, very interesting. Okay. One last question. And this has been a fascinating debate. Very interesting. A lot of great dissection of the whole category for us and our listeners. But, um, but in terms of the where we're going, so you've been talking, Ted, just a bit about primitives. Where are we seeing the maturity um, trend around CDP and <coughs> data warehouses and all of that thing from a marketing angle? Um, but Kat, Mike, I might actually throw to you, like where, where are you investing right now with MParticle in terms of um, new innovation, ways of um, helping to support maturing as brands mature with how they use um, these types of platforms? Yeah, well, if if I step back and kind of revisit the origin and Particle was born out of this like platform shift from web-only digital experiences to there being like this multi-threaded con consumer experience in environment, right? It started with like mobile, mobile apps. Now it's like connected living room, connected vehicles, this kind of quote-unquote internet of, of things um, scenario. Um, and so as, uh, as that platform shift happened, the, the immediate need was to like start just wrangling data. Um, it was about collecting data from all these different touch points that had different form factors and you now had multiple forms of, of state that you had to be able to, to, to track users against. And you needed to not only like collect it, but you needed to unify it for the purpose of like analytics and, and marketing output. Um, and a whole bunch of stuff in between. But for the first however many number of years, it was all about like helping companies build that foundation. And and, and maybe that foundation is in the CDP, um, the segments and the M particles of, of the world. Maybe it's in the data warehouse. Maybe the, the emergence of the data warehouse as, as, as a primitive is part of the next platform shift and that will that will create a whole bunch of emergent properties that will then lead to new opportunities maybe maybe not um but where where we've seen need to start to evolve our offering over the course of the past year and this is like kind of long been the vision of of m particle 
is to now take all of the protections that we've built around data quality and, and, and governance and compliance, helping companies establish that foundation and now combining that with machine, learn, machine learning driven predictions and, and insights, right? Because what you see in the CDP space, companies like Segment, they still do have a bunch of the protections because they, they they built out like the data pipeline, um, but they don't like they haven't invested in like AI and and and, and machine learning and um, like that rich kind of prediction layer. And then when you look at like the other types of CDPs out there, they do have like nice reporting interfaces and they do provide like rich insights. And maybe some of them have built out some machine learning capabilities but it's all in a really weak or unstable foundation because they don't have any of the protections. And I think like where, where we see our unique opportunity is really as the only CDP that combines the best of, of both worlds. So that's where we're going. That's we've been pretty public about it. It's on our homepage. It's powered by the acquisitions that we've done this year. And, and um, we're going to keep leaning pretty heavy into that. Mm, awesome. How about you, Tejas? What's on the roadmap for you in terms of high touch supporting the growing maturity trends around warehousing? What's what's on your mind? Yeah, for sure. So I think as as uh, as MK outlined, um, you know, and Particle was built on a on a very real platform shift, uh, which I think was the abundance of new places to collect data from, whether it's cars, TVs, mobile phones, and companies just not having control over that data and not having any way to effectively collect from those sources. I think we are also built on a platform ship very much, which is that companies now have so much data, but they're not doing enough with it. They don't know how to use it. It's not easy to use. And our our goal as a company is, is really, you know, we don't want to specialize in data collection. We don't want to specialize in things kind of upstream. We think companies have tons of data and we want to help them drive more value from it. And the first place we started was really this activation product where we allow you to move data from the warehouse into various different systems in an operational way, power things like email campaigns or ad campaigns or, or even financial processing. That said, where we're, where we're headed is that we know just moving data is not, is, not the only, is not the only problem out there, right? So we've already started to make strides here with letting marketers come in the platform, do this in a self-service way let them do experimentation through our splits product. And we're, we're really looking at all the problems that, that companies come up with when they have data and are struggling to use it and chopping them off one by one and in a way that really leverages all, all the benefits of, of the underlying data warehouse platforms and primitives that exist in these companies. So things like predictions, identity, or just entity resolution as a whole are all things that we're starting to help our customers with and starting to lean more into in a warehouse native way that we think will really increase the adoption of the end activation solution that we're shipping to our customers because it's built on the standard that people are building in the data warehouse and, and everyone's using from all departments and business units and stuff like that um, versus you know another silo of sorts um, if you invest in a new solution from ground up. So that's what we're excited about. We've, we've solved one piece of the puzzle with activating data, but there's, there's so much more to go and building that on top of the, the existing foundation. I love it. And Tejas, I have one final question for you. I have to ask. Cool. Can you let your friends buy a CDP? 
<laughs> yes, I can let my friends buy a CDP from time to time. Um, as long as they, they have that data flowing into the warehouse to activate for the rest of the use cases. So <laughs> that is, that is an often, that is often a way there. we get started. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, wonderful. Well, hey, um, uh, thank you both, Jedges and Mike, for joining us. Mike, where can we find you on the web? Uh, where can we interact with you online? Um, and where can we find Empartical? Only in the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. Um, now, Twitter, MCAT0630. Um, check out our website, MParticle.com. Um, our corporate Twitter handle is, is M at MParticle. Um, we're, we're easy to find. Awesome. How about you, uh, Tejas? Where can we find you and interact? I think I'm similarly lame and easy to find. <laughs> my Twitter handle is simply my name, right? At Tejas Monoher, T-E-J-A-S-M-A-N-O-H-A-R. But honestly, it's probably better to look at whatever the comments are here to find that. <laughs> um, our website's hightouch.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, any of the above. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, we are regularly interviewing people who are featured all the time in the MarTech Weekly. Uh, we delve into topics that subscribers care about, and we also talk to people who are at the forefront of the industry, people like Mike and Tedges. So if you'd like to read and subscribe, you can head to themartechweekly.com. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.